Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the DeathStoreProds.com anime and manga podcast. As always, I'm your host, the Dead Man Joe. Today we have Cora. Hello. John cannot be joining us this week again. He is going through some stuff. And it is not our place to say what it is, so when he comes back, mm-hmm. which hopefully will be next episode, if he wants to tell you, then he will. If not, then fuck off. We were going to have Caveman guest in for this podcast, but Pokemon came out. So. Yeah. And I, that's mildly, partially my fault, because I got a call like an hour and a half before recording yesterday, and it's like, oh, sorry, I've got to cancel. <laughs> I really, really hate when that happens. Yeah. And it's good to know that Caveman has the same reliability as a Japanese school child. It is to just be weird. fair, if I had a 3DS, I might be on the same page. I just sold my 3DS. Because I am not on that page at all. Fuck, I just bought I, like, a, I just bought a Digimon game. I mean there are well, that's does nothing to say that you couldn't be on the same page, but uh As we all know, in two conflicting franchises, you cannot have affinity for both. This is the internet, motherfucker. I'm pretty certain that that is a rule that in no way applies to Digimon and Pokemon fans, though. <laughs> Their anime are of about the same quality, so fuck it. No, that is not true in the slightest. Yeah, no, Digimon is real fucking ghetto. But, yeah, uh, no, if I had a 3DS, there would be two reasons for me to have it. The first would be Pokemon, and the other would be... Really, any entry in the Harvest Moon franchise, which by which I mean, I think it's now like Song of Seasons or something. But, yeah. For me, it was Ace Attorney. Mm. Goddamn love those games. I enjoy them. I played three of them, I think. I've played five of them. I missed Apollo Justice, but that's fine, because Apollo Justice is coming out on mobile this fall. Uh, or I guess this holiday season. I played the first, the third, and Apollo Justice. Anyway, not about video games. It, actually, in the opposite order, though. <laughs> anyway. So, yeah. We're here talking about anime and shit, I guess. Yeah. So have you been watching uh, Ace Attorney? Actually, no. (laughs) Yeah, me neither. It's supposed to be garbage. Yeah, well, that and also I tried to watch that first episode and I was like, ah, this, the voice acting in this is too good in Japanese. Like, I like my Ace Attorney as Ace Attorney, not as, like, I like it as Phoenix Wright, not fucking Ryanosuke Naruhodo. We're not going to get such fucking great names as a tour guide named Albie Erguide. Or a security guard named Pat Roll. 
or an explosives expert at known as uh, named Ted Tenate. Uh, Can't get that shit in Japanese, dog. Anyway, uh, I I had a thought. It's a brief moment there where I knew where I was going next. It was like a butterfly, and then it fluttered off. I haven't been awake for long, people. But oh, yeah, so, have you read this week's My Hero Academia? Mm, I, yes. Couldn't remember if I had finished reading it for a second. Next week, some shit is going to happen. Presumably, as opposed to last week when stuff happened involving characters that we didn't know. And yeah, that was... What, what happened last, was last week? week? Um, a crazy guy talked about villains with himself for a bit and then watched some villains rob a place and they'd get beaten up by other villains that we have seen before, but I forgot existed. What the fuck? I don't even know. Last week was weird. I don't even remember last week. Like, there was a... Oh, the, fuck! Right, this guy! Yeah. What the fuck was that chapter? I don't know. Just, hey, we need a, hey, we need a chapter on that fucking mask guy from the fucking training camp attack. I didn't remember him. He can make clones of himself, I think. That's what he said. I had assumed that we had never seen him before because I had no recollection of him and he didn't make any clear references to the previous events. Yeah, it wasn't until the mask came on that I was that I realized who it was. <sighs> that didn't help me because he might as well it might like Oh my god, that character put on a balaclava. <laughs> he is clearly this individual. <laughs> like, what? And just a fucking single panel, single fucking page of just all might and all for one. Yeah. All might looks just real sad. In his tiny man form with the suit. Yeah. I don't know why he wore that. And, you know, ceremony. I mean, what is he going to do? Come up to come up and hang out with his arch nemesis in a, just a fucking suit? You show up in a fucking t-shirt yeah. and jean shorts? I would have assumed suit. Nah, you gotta go super suit. Sign of respect. Okay. I don't fucking know why he did it, dude. It's It's a superhero thing. Fucking whenever Superman goes and hangs out with just fucking anybody, he doesn't just go out there in like civvies but still having the Superman face out there doing shit Daredevil yes but Superman has a secret identity which All Might kind of has dropped at this point the Fantastic Four then they fucking wear their super suits at all times 
even just hanging out around the house doing nothing. I don't know to what extent that's true. Entirely so. I have read a couple of Fantastic Four comics, and they are never in casual clothes. Okay. It's not until you get out of the Fantastic Four that they start wearing, you know, fucking civvies. Or when they go to hell. Anyway. Like the time Johnny Johnny Storm died, but really didn't, but he still went to hell in order to punish the wicked. Naturally. Yeah, you know. Anyway, yeah. This week, chap, this week, stuff happened in a bunch of, in a couple of series that are, you know, fairly big for showing stuff. Uh, Definitely, My Hero Academia with the last bit. And I guess technically, like, the first half was just the big talk between All Might and All for One. Nothing actually really happened in this chapter. We got promises that something might potentially happen next chapter. Okay, fair. Yeah, like, I, I'll i admit I was not wowed by these past two chapters of My Hero uh, Academia. Academia. It just kind of petered around. It's like, hey, remember the big villain guy? Well, he's still here being strapped up. They're going to talk for a bit and nothing's actually going to be revealed from it. And hey, there's a guy who wears a mask that you may or may not remember. I landed (laughs) on the side of not. Cool. They're setting up his character. I mean, what better place to do it than in the middle of the big fucking like wrap up of an arc that involved the main fight with the main bad guy. That was wrapped up a while ago. No, this is this is following wrap up. It is, you know, you, you got to have your Hannibal Lecter moment. Uh. And then Soma, they fucking drop all pretense and just call Soma food Jesus. No, being able to turn water into wine is useful for a number of French dishes. Yeah, it. we've talked about it a bit where Soma is, you know, God-child-can-never-lose kind of character. And that's one of the weaker aspects of Soma. Yeah, he's cooking Kirito. Yeah, but for the longest time, they have at least been, like, keeping that in, like, the background and at least having the illusion of tension when he is in a cook-off. They've now dropped all that by having a guy he just fought call him God. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was the uh, exam cook-off against Hayama. I don't remember who that is, and I started uh, trying to catch up on the series again for a little while, and then thought, you know what? No. This is... Yeah, fair. It's kind of stupid. And... He was the I mean, the it was smell. always... Hayama it was, was always the, stupid, but it was charming. Yeah. Hayama was the smell guy from the fall elections. Okay. He got a, he got a seat on Central as the ninth seat of the Elite Ten. Because of blackmail. And then, because of that, he lost his boner. 
And as we all know, the true power of cooking is boners. Cooking. Oh yeah, and also like half the main cast got expelled off off panel. Okay. You know. Cause that's what you do. Yeah, someone was real dumb. Moving on. <laughs> Wish I had more to add to that, but it's like, yeah, well, that's kind of why I gave up on catching up on it. <laughs> Speaking of catching up, Blue Exorcist. I've not read that in ages. Yeah, so I have been, I've been still reading it. And it's mostly been like scanlated and brought over for us by a group called S2 Scans. For some retarded reason, after they released chapter 79, they decided to release chapter 84. And then release chapters 80 through 83. Like, on their site, when they released Chapter 84, it's like, Hey, guys, we got a gift for you. It's Chapter 84. Don't worry. We'll get, the ch- we'll get the five chapters in between this one and the last one that we released out soon. But for now, enjoy this fucking gift of... A fucking... A chapter minus five chapters of context. Well, if they left off at uh, 79, then it's four chapters. Okay, fucking whatever. Well, you should be accurate. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. No, I, I I stopped reading it back when... Uh, I don't remember anything from that series. There was... Like a temple or something, I think. That's 80% of buildings. Yeah, like I said, I have no recollection of this series. Like, I remember the characters a little bit, but if you asked me anything about what was going on, I have no fucking clue. I think it was a... I want to say it was a story arc that was probably left out of the anime, though I didn't really follow the anime after the first few episodes. So... Again. Yeah. There's a lot of ways that could go. I'm gonna guess I was around, like, chapter 50 or something. Okay. Well, I, uh, I watched the anime, then I decided to get into the manga. And I really do like the series. It's just they, with a monthly release schedule and the amount of other manga being released in between the months, there is just so much that I have to like. There's there's a lot of like mental work I have to do in order to actually remember what happened in the last chapter. I know how that goes. Hell, yeah. I actually kind of did that with the most recent One Punch Man. Oh yeah, that is 
One Punch Man's release schedule has been kind of terrible in terms of actually keeping up momentum of a story. But just, don't worry, they did the My Hero Academia, uh, Academia thing where they just focused on a character that we had never really heard of before and a bunch of other characters who we might have heard of but I don't think ever had lines all just showing up and dealing with an octopus. So, that was something. Yeah, I think all those characters... Uh, like, of those characters, I only knew two of them. Yeah. One of them because I, I'd seen him before, and the other one because he was a decently exposed figure in a good chunk of the webcomic original. Okay. Because I knew that Smile Man was a thing, and I was willing to guess that maybe one or two of the other characters might have been mentioned or something. Oh, no. It wasn't Smile Man. Okay. It was Death Gatling and the Flash Guy. That's a guy? I think so. Okay. But yeah, uh, during in the webcomic, uh, they were going through the whole Monster Association arc. And they were in the Monster Association base, and Saitama was in there. And this guy was like, oh, a C-class hero. He must have been stuck down here. I better help him get out. And then he ends up getting his ass... And then that guy gets his ass kicked, and then Saitama saves him. He's like, oh, hey, we need to get going, so... Bye. Okay. Yeah, this was a weird fucking chapter. But you're talking about Blue Exorcist. Yeah, so they are... They're going harder into looking into the Blue Knight, which is kind of the big... Kind of the reason that there is a story happening here. Mm. At all. Uh, For those who don't know, in this world, uh, there are exorcists, demons, hell and heaven, that's all real places and stuff, and uh, Satan is... I guess technically our main bad guy. Like in the general sense that Satan is a bad guy. And yeah, one night Satan manifested himself on Earth, which caused this huge explosion of blue flames everywhere that killed like fucking hundreds of people. And resulted in the birth of our main character and his twin brother. Now, unlike in the anime, uh, in the manga... The brother is not a half demon as well. He just has powers that haven't really been fully established at what they do yet. He just spends a lot of his time jumping off the roofs of buildings in order to get to try to get his powers to activate. You know, as you do. Ah, uh, the misfits approach. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he wakes up in a grave and spends the next like two months masturbating. <laughs> not the character I was thinking of but fair enough he technically does activate his powers by jumping off a roof also technically true I was thinking of Simon but uh, his free running uh, those aren't really powers pre oh it's based on precognition he knows which uh, moves he can perform that will fail and which ones won't. Oh, right. Yeah, that. And he fails miserably at activating his precognition early on. That show got so convoluted after they started switching powers. Yes, it did. And after they lost half the original cast. 
And then the rest of the original cast. Yeah, and now it's... I think Curtis is the only one left. No, he died. <laughs> Midway through season four, I think. So is the only guy who actually has any tenure on that show just Rudy now? Well, I mean, the show ended. Uh, it did? I thought it was still going. No. If you don't recall, Rudy has his own show now. <laughs> All right. But, uh, no, Curtis died midway through season four, I think, during the zombie noir episode. Right. What the fuck? <laughs> so Blue Exorcist. No, it just... Nadine's power is eventually, revealed to the, is eventually revealed to be the ability to inadvertently summon the Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse. Uh, okay. Remember when the show started out and the powers were like some extension of their personalities? Yeah. What happened to that? What happened to I drink a lot of milk so now I can control all dairy products? I referenced that in Code Geass now that I think about it. Yeah, you did. Yeah. Anyway, Blair says, so yeah, uh, the Blue Knight. Big event in this world. Horrible thing happened. And for the longest time, they just kind of left it alone. Nobody has really talked about it at all other than just mentioning, oh, the Blue Knight, that was bad. And now you're here because of it, you fucker. Took me a little while to figure out that you were saying knight as in N-I-G-H-T and not knight <laughs> K-N-I-G-H-T. Nope, and it was a night where things turned blue. Because of fire. Ah. Uh. But yeah, and so it's being investigated by Lightning, a character who has been around for a bit, but that we haven't really spent any real time with. Turns out he's a sociopath. He is unable to sympathize with people and can't feel emotion. Okay. And he ended up killing somebody who ended who raised our two main characters. Just by asking him questions and stuff. And it's all it's all part of this big conspiracy thing that I can't get into because it would take me explaining the entire series in order to give you full context. Yeah. But this I still I still really enjoy the series. Uh, I I like all the writing on the characters. I like all the characters. I like the artwork. It is a fairly unique anime style. For me, like, it's... For whatever reason, like, when I'm looking at it, it kind of reminds me a tiny bit of Monica Magica, just in, like, the fact that everyone's a bit more square. Mm. Like, a lot of the heads, especially on the guys, they look, like, more blocky than round uh yeah it's it's a very it's a very loose connection to me but it Satan is still is there. a weird little cat creature oh yeah he does have that too <laughs> am i actually correct <laughs> yes he does he has a weird little cat creature okay he's an alcoholic uh, see, that sets him apart from Q-Bay. Q-Bay just eats his own flesh. <laughs> yeah, like they resolve their... Monica Magica is fucking awesome. 
Yeah, like like they resolved their first storyline with that cat by getting that cat fucking wasted. Madoka Magica is a point where uh, the character uh, Homura essentially teleports behind Kyube and shoots him with a shotgun. At which point another Kyube shows up, eats the corpse, and says, did you really think that that would be able to kill me? To be honest, yeah. Like, you're a cat. (laughs) (sighs) Yeah. uh, Lex is still really good. I can't talk about it anymore because nobody... Because you you had me kept up, so fuck it, I guess. (laughs) So moving on. I have I started rereading and then all got caught up on I am a hero. I have never heard of that. It's a really weird book. So it's about a guy named Hideo Suzuki. He is a 35-year-old mangaka assistant and is crazy. Every night when he comes home, he has horribly vivid hallucinations where where he then has to set up a circle of like erasers and shit around him and then and then like sit in a corner of his room with a shotgun and don't actually fall asleep. And yeah. So I'm not the only one. <laughs> yeah, so he does that for a while and that's kind of what the series just is for a while is just this guy being insane. Like, he has these horribly vivid hallucinations where, where like, you know, people are, like, you know, crawling off him underneath his bed or, like, staring at him through his people or, like, trying to break down his windows. He has this, like, recurring hallucination of, like, a small child that keeps appearing and talking to him, and he usually ends up peeing on his face. Okay. And he hallucinates entire conversations with people. Like, he is working at his, you know, assistant job, and he's talking about the historical and cultural relevance of manga. And, like, arguing its place in the greater context of art and culture with all these people. Turns out he never said any of that. And that went on for, like, fucking ten pages. And then, as he's walking home, he sees... Basically zombies. Just, he sees these things, like, walking around, doing all kinds of horrible shit. He's like, oh, I'm just hallucinating. Obviously. He then goes and sees his girlfriend... Who is a zombie? And it turns out this is a zombie. This is this is a zombie manga. It was a real slow burn. I think we actually got through the entire first volume without seeing a single zombie. Then from there, things develop further. I feel like you're explaining Dirk gently to me. <laughs> I can see where you're coming from with that. Like, but this is, this has a bit more of a plot to it. Like it actually a bit more of like a structured thing going on. There is see, a certain amount of interconnectedness is, going on. That was not what I was expecting you to say. First of all, I think the other, I think Dirk Gently probably has a lot of plot to it and structure actually underneath the surface. But I actually thought you're going to finish the sentence with this actually has a lot more 
peeing on the main character. <laughs> that is how I expected that sentence to end, which I think it might be very telling about this series. A little bit. But actually, bringing up Dirk Dantley, it does have a lot of interconnectedness going on with it. Because some of the characters are kind of psychic and can, like, and like see into the minds of other people. And also, a character, like a, a side character who, was, who we followed for a brief second, was actually related to one of our main characters. Just like it, it was never really brought up until after all that shit had gone down. But anyway, so yeah, so Susie, uh, so Hideo finds out that his girlfriend is a zombie, gets bit on the hand, but it doesn't pierce the skin, so he doesn't turn. At least that's his rationale behind it. And then he just kind of starts wandering around. He ends up finding a high school girl in the woods. And the two of them travel together. Uh, Hideo, despite being a fairly like weak physical person, is actually one of the most powerful people in this world because he has a gun. Like uh, with a, like a lot of since it is Japan, uh, getting a gun is a lot harder to get. But he was part of a like hunting club, so and he did a lot of like like clay shooting. That's a terrible flashbacks to what I'm current to a review I'm currently working on. Uh, High School of the Dead. Yeah, I wasn't saying it out loud, but sure. It's not that. No, I know, but the line went through my head. Yeah, no, in Japan, it's far harder to get a gun unless the ditzy nurse happens to be uh, having a relationship with a gun enthusiast secret agent. Who has sniper rifles in her apartment. You know. But no. Uh, throughout, throughout the series, uh, there have only been like two actual guns. Both of them owned by Hideo. Uh, one of them is like a you know clay shooting shotgun. The other one is a hunting rifle that he found at a gun store. That was owned by the previous owner who was dead. Turns out he's fucking great with both of them. And that might be because he is actually a superhuman. Certain people in this world, when they get bitten by the zombies or the zombfags or the ZQN, take your pick. Uh, they get special abilities. Some of them become super zombies, which are able to like run faster, jump higher, do other stuff that the other zombies can't do. Uh, some of them turn into a guy called Kudasu, who is a fairly mythical character. Uh, we had seen some build up to him earlier where he like released, like when the zombie apocalypse first started happening, he released a video of himself, like decapitating his mom on the internet and was, and was just like saying, Hey, shut-ins of the world. Now is our time. It is time for us to rise up and stuff. And he got superpowers like he was able to walk through the zombies without them having real any real issue with him. He was able to control them to a certain extent. He had super strength, super speed, super everything. But he also hung out the entire time in his underwear. He hated clothes. 
And that might have happened to Hideo. There's been a lot of there's been a lot of uh happenings and stuff alluded to throughout the series that make it seem like he is more powerful than almost anybody. And appears to have some connection to the zombies. Like mentally. I so do not know how to feel about this description. Yeah, and then every once in a while it just cuts over to Italy. Where things are infinitely worse? Of course, it's Italy. Like, starts out with just a guy waking up. He has no memory of what's happening. And he's just walking down the streets like 28 days later style. Gets to a church and then gets destroyed by a giant penis. Ah, so we know what Berlusconi's up to. Yeah. And then we... I'm limited on my Italy jokes. Yeah, and then we go back to, you know, the main story. Then a few chapters later, we come back to Italy, and it's about a little girl running down the street trying to find her parents where she gets, like, found by this guy and taken up to a bell tower where, where a bunch of other people are staying. Uh, and they just all start talking and stuff and realizing what's going on. There are giant penises everywhere. And I am not joking. I don't have enough Berlusconi references for this. And then it's revealed that everybody on the tower, except for the little girl and one guy who doesn't talk, are all zombies. Because the little girl is one of these, like, special chosen people, and then the guy is something else. We've seen one other version of him, and it is, and they are just, like, dudes in half of a suit who speak in all languages at once. We then cut back to Italy a, wh- a little while later, where we are following a man wearing a gas mask who is nothing but a head and a pair of legs. Okay, I, I went from thinking this was too random to thinking I had like a little bit of a grasp on this, and now I'm back to dirt gently again. He then goes into a church where a giant vagina is hanging out. I don't mean the opening of a vagina, I mean the entirety of the female reproductive system. Just in a church. David Cameron? The mask then Trent, walks to a park. I'm working my way through European leaders that I want to insult now. Like, the uh, gas mask head turkey then goes to a park where he turns into a tree. <sighs> the Italy chapters are the worst chapters of this comic. You don't say. Like I, I get the I I get what they're going for. I get that this is just trying to show that this is happening all over the world and give us a bit more of an idea of what the zombies are actually doing, who they're working for, why they exist in the first place. They're not doing that. They're sounding more and more like the Chef Brian like segments of Control Alt Delete. I get that reference. Like, just bizarre randomness for the sake of randomness thrown in to something that is not that. Yeah, and it usually comes in, and they, like, they usually come, like, right in the middle of story arcs. But the point we're at in the series now is where everything seems to be converging. Uh, so, the girl that Hideo was traveling with, uh, she got bit. And turned into and turned into a zombie for a while. 
And it was actually kind of cool. We got to see from her perspective of things. And when she was like in full on zombie mode, she saw everybody as stuffed animals. It's like, you know, giant talking, walking stuffed animals. Then she got better. But she was still able to have, but she still had like a connection to the zombies because of whatever is going on. She then gets grabbed by the giant penis. And taken up into the air where she then, where she then melds with the giant penis who then poops out her clothes from the butthole under his ball sack. I only made up one aspect of that sentence. I'll let you, the folks at home, guess which one I made up. Obviously, she wasn't wearing clothes. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, so while all that is happening, uh, we then have... uh, we then have a group of people living out of a office building. One faction of which is actually somebody that Hideo used to work with at his, you know, old mangaka job. Then Hideo gets involved with all that shit. And then the zombies start coming also along with, along with Kurosu, who is actually a different guy. And Kurosu just needs to be a name that is passed on from person to person like this. And then one of the zombies that shows up is the sister of one of the people that Hideo was traveling with, who was also a previously a part of Kurosu's old crew before she got a fucking crossbow bolt in the face and turned into a zombie. See what I mean about interconnectedness? This is just all these weird threads that we've been following just all start converging on this one dumb office location where there's a guy trying to start a cult. Just cause. Yeah, I do like this book. It's weird as hell. But I've liked the differences that it takes on like zombie stuff. Uh with with a lot of zombies thing with a lot of zombie things when like the apocalypse starts like actually going into full gear and people start having to kill like zombies and stuff. Most times, the first time they kill somebody, it's like, oh my god, what have you done? Everything's horrible. And they realize the zombies, oh no, wait, we can just fucking go buck wild. Fuck this shit. In this, pretty much right up until now, essentially, they have, like, everything that has been done by Hideo and some other guys, they've been doing it as, like, as legally as they could. Like, like they, they waited for a long ass time to actually kill somebody, and when they did, it and when they did, like they, the realization Hideo has is that oh, I'm a murderer now. But even then, they but even then, like whenever they kill somebody, if they kill somebody in a location where they can't get rid of them or like give them proper burial, they'll like leave a note saying, "Hey, we've killed this person in this place or whatever. We had no choice. We're sorry. Here is our phone number in case you need to prosecute us." Have a nice day. Sorry for the inconvenience. Whenever they have to like steal food or whatever, they will leave as much money as they can, like as they think is appropriate. And if they can't, they just leave a note again. Uh, when they when one of their compatriots got crushed in a fucking like uh, in the back of a garbage truck, they just got like a giant banner, just put it up beside, said, "Hey, this person is crushing here. 
Sorry for the inconvenience. Could somebody please give her a proper burial if we're dead? It is giving a very weird amalgam of various things. Yeah. But the thing that is the most is a nerd wet dream. Because so 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 far, every super character, every character who has survived this long, who has been important. Has been a has been essentially a hickey like just a shut in, spends all his time on like message boards and YouTube and stuff, doesn't interact yeah. with the outside world, hates everybody, doesn't have any luck with women or anything, is just, you know, the standard typical stereotype of a nerd. And they're the heroes. They are the villains. They are the important ones. Like Kudasu, his whole thing is that he ended up creating a like basically a cult of shut-ins. Oh, is what you said a nerd wet dream? Yes. Okay, I heard ner and was trying to piece together what the fuck that meant. Oh no, nerd. It is Okay. Yeah, this is just like you know, it's not the meek shall inherit the earth, it's the geek shall inherit the earth. Sorry for that fucking big bang theory quality pun. Yeah, that, My brain is still back on the character, uh, what was it, Kurisu? Yeah, oh no, Kudasu. Kurisu. I'll, I'll use. Okay. Yeah, his brain trembles. Uh. <laughs> but yeah, that, that's, that's kind of the weirdest thing, reading this book, and then like I realized that around halfway through. Or just like, oh, yeah, fuck, this is just all... Anybody who survives in this world is a nerd. Like Hideo. He is where I think my life is going. Of just being 35, barely make, barely getting by, not really having anything to live for, and just being completely surrounded by this nerdy bullshit that I should have either grown out of or gotten way more successful in. And then the zombie apocalypse happens, and he becomes... One of the most powerful people in the land. Kudasu, again, he is a shut-in who's like, oh, fuck you, mom. And then, he, and then he gets to kill his mom and become God. Uh, one of the other guys who was working at uh, the uh, the guy who's, in, who's in, like in charge of that factory used to work with Hideo. His whole thing was that he... Like whenever he is out in the world with his like troops or whatever, he's talking about all the times he was almost arrested for assaulting women. And now he is the general of this faction who would follow him into the fucking jaws of hell. And it's real weird. Uh, That last bit, you didn't really have to say that. We got that much. Like that was... Not quite subtext, so much as the entirety of the text that you stated about this series. <laughs> but what might be the weirdest thing about all of this is how they're releasing it in America. They're being released as omnibuses, which is two trades. 
like like in Japan, uh, volumes one and two are volumes one and two. In America, in America, volumes one and two are volumes one, two, three, and four. And I don't know why. I think because of how it might be because of how slow it is. Like I said, in that first volume, it is just this fucking weirdo having himself a little spaz out for fucking 100 whatever pages. It's also a practice that I've seen a couple times in the West, usually with series that have already been around. Like I saw them doing omnibuses with Full Metal Alchemist, where it's not some high quality collector's edition. It's just, hey, we'll give you more of this for slightly less than it would take for you to buy all the separate volumes. Yeah, but so. like th- that that I get. That I get because that is something okay. they do with comics too. Yeah. Where they will take where in where like they will take, you know, fucking like five or six of the trades and then release that as just one big thing for like 10 bucks cheaper than what it would cost to get the rest get like all the volumes just individually. Yeah, but we're talking about a series that from the sounds of it, I'm going to assume is a little more niche. So to skip ahead to that point and try and give like condense it in a sense might make sense unless I'm overlooking some element of their production here. I don't know. This shit's just real fucking weird, but I, I dig it. I'm into this. I'm into this level of weird. Like it is, I actually kind of like, uh, I, I still kind of like zombie stuff, but so much zombie stuff is just bargain basement by the numbers bullshit. Just the same thing stamped out over and over again. So having something that is this different, but at least it's a little, uh, at least it's alliterative. Yeah, at least that, but uh, Barking basement by the numbers bullshit, boy. I don't have anything else to follow that up with. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, this is... A very odd, very niche book. That... I can see it not really having that big an audience. But I'm still into it. Like I said, I like the writing, I like characters, artwork is very good. Like, like the characters are all very, they're all very fluid. Like, like uh, whenever we see Hideo or anybody else, like put like the butt of the shotgun up against his shoulder and play the cheek against it. We can actually see like a good chunk of their skin, like, you know, press up like it would be resting against the fucking side of a shotgun. A lot of the zombies, they when they run or move, they are distorted in their movement in such a way that it actually looks like they are just like sacks of liquid being like thrown into a wind tunnel. Hmm. Which actually does lend a level of uh, dynamicness, like like dynamosity or whatever the word is like it makes things look a bit more dynamic. Yeah. And the characters are able to be fairly expressive because their faces are pretty loose and having them like have fairly big expressions 
doesn't really feel out of place or weird for that thing. But then we get into the actual environments, and the environments are almost something out of a fucking Hiroya Oku, uh, the Gantz guy. Like it's almost like that level of detail. Like it, it, it looks like they're all essentially uh, like rotoscoped. Mm-hmm. Which with the zombies really actually helps sell them as horror. Like a lot of the times when we get into the, especially in like the forest stuff with uh with like a rot- with like an almost rotoscope forest, having then like these incredibly weird looking and very like not realistic zombies running around in them, it actually does lend this air of surreal surreality to to it that is kind of is kind of like present throughout the rest of the book that helps them stand out more and make them be even more creepy yeah i'm a hero check it out you might be into it anyway other than that i've just been following standard stuff keep it up on high drifters Iron Blooded Orphans, shit like that. Hmm. Yeah, that's all I got. What do you got, Cora? Most of my stuff is also the standards. I'm continuing watching March Comes In Like a Lion, which, yeah, definitely one of the MVPs of this current season. I The show has one interesting quality, which I don't know if it's a problem or not. But it's that I can't always get a sense of the timeline. It doesn't feel like it's always in chronological order. And this doesn't really seem to be hurting the show any. But, and the thing is, I think most of it is in chronological order. It's just hard to get a real grasp on it. But we learned a bit more about the main character's history over the past few episodes. And yeah, it's fucking weird and interesting because he he's a character who came back from a class trip to find that his father, mother, and uh, younger sister had all died in a car accident. Like you do. He ends up getting adopted by one of his father's friends, who is a professional shogi player who, like, it's a shogi family. The son and the daughter are expected to at least take part and perform well in these tournaments and uh, chances are they're going to become professionals. And the main character does not like the game, really. He doesn't dislike it, but it's not something that he has any real affinity towards. He's just good at it and he decides to lie in order to ensure that he isn't put into an orphanage. And it shows how his presence in the household, from his perspective at least, was toxic. Because he, the son of the family, who's the same age as him, ends up pretty much having a mental breakdown. He 
is losing constantly to him. He's not really getting his father's attention, and he's gradually just not caring about anything. He is detaching himself. The sister responds with physical abuse. She's the older uh, one, and she, on a, a few occasions during the flashback, just straight up punches the main character because she cannot stand his presence in the household. <laughs> and the main, like, because he beats her and she is not performing as well as he is in the tournaments and stuff. And even people from outside of the family are taking note that here is this man who adopted his rival's son and essentially the son has become the favorite child. You know, this adopted, this adopted son has become the favorite child of the household. Okay, you did not mention that he was a rival. I just assumed that when it was just they they were friend like they were friends. He would come over to their house, but they used to be part of uh, a league and were rivals in the game. But they specifically do use the term rival at at least one point. Okay, yeah, that that there's that a moment a bit. where the, there's a moment where the main character is like cleaning up in the kitchen and he's listening to a program on the television talking about the cuckoo bird and how it shoves, it it will lay its eggs in the nest of another bird. And when the baby is born, it will knock the other uh, eggs out of the nest, killing them. And he compares (laughs) himself to that. And he, you know, like he, the reason he's living alone in the series is because He's in high school, but his deci- but he drove himself to become a professional player as quickly as possible so that he could afford to get himself out of that household and stop making everyone around him miserable. And it's such an interesting dynamic for this character. Yeah, that... Hi. <laughs> hey. You've talked about this series a couple times. Yes. And each time I I start out not I start out like not sure I should feel about the show, then realizing that I should really watch this show, and then by the time the show ends, I forgot this show existed. I like, I, like, like you highly said, you said, recommend you, it because this is a show that is ultimately about healing connections. You know, all of the characters involved have some level of trauma or hardship they're facing. But it's about the connections they're trying to forge with others. And that is what works for me with this show. Because it really does delve into why this character feels his presence is a burden. And it's really interesting to see. Okay. And it also goes into why he plays the game. Because he does it not because he enjoys it or has any aspirations with it. He plays it just because it ensures that he is less of a burden on others. And the show has mentioned that he's actually hit, it's a very short but notable losing streak. And he realizes it's because he has no reason to move forward. He's out of the household. He's reached a status where he's a professional. He doesn't have any drive to advance. And he's kind of just asking, then what is the point of me at this point? And it is really fascinating to watch. 
So if you're looking for existential crisis, sh- existential crisis shogi. Yes, and I have to. I once again want to point out that despite the fact that these episodes, like I'm talking about episodes four through six, they're a little bit heavier than the ones that came before, and there's always been like layers of depth and weight to it. But even now, there is still a sense of optimism. His interactions with the other characters clearly do help uplift him and push him forward. And while this is definitely the most, in a sense, depressive that the show's been, it's never, uh, nothing feel, nothing ever quite feels fu- uh, futile. And so just for clarification, when you say interaction with other characters, you mean characters other than the family he was with because i can't see a lot of like they have not shown up outside of flashbacks okay because they, they're, just to, they're saying like i can't interact with other characters and the only really characters that you mentioned so far have been the main guy and no the he, has piece the of three, family. he has the three sisters that he they, they've compared their relationship with him to picking up a stray and even he seems to be aware of, like, he's fully aware of how awkward his relationship with these three characters are because he does not feel comfortable taking advantage of their kindness. But they really won't let him not take advantage of it. <laughs> and there's a scene towards the end of the most recent episode where the middle schooler realize is, like, clearly picking up on how depressed he is and like encourages him to come over and have dinner with us. It'll be great. Come on. And he just has this moment of realization of, Oh my God, I am receiving charity and sympathy from a middle schooler. (laughs) (laughs) And they know about some of the, like they've seen him occasionally have slight breakdowns. Uh, One of the, like in episode four, he get they call him up and ask if he can pick up the youngest of the sisters who's in ele- like in elementary and he goes and picks her up and walks her home and she they encounter a dog that startles her and causes her to trip and he takes her back to the house and is cleaning up her scrapes and in the in the middle of cleaning up her scrapes she looks up and She's been crying, you know, she's been acting like an elementary student who's gotten scraped up. Yeah. And she realizes, like, in that moment, he starts to cry. And she's confused by that statement, by that occurrence. And uh, it's only later when she's having dinner, like, she's insisting, oh, I didn't cry. But he did. And first of all, even the show, like, just puts a huge tag on her that says, huge liar. (laughs) But the oldest sister points out to uh, to the two younger sisters, well, he did have a little sister. And just an odd silence sweeps over the table. And that's how it starts to go into his past. So he has these connections that serve to anchor him. So it's never entirely misery. But there is weight to the stuff that he's experienced. And it's very interesting to see how other characters respond to him. Like his teacher, who is almost hilariously blunt to the point that he keeps at, like, couldn't you just sugarcoat this a little? Like, maybe stop being quite so mean about reality. (laughs) 
because he eats lunch with the teacher. Of course, uh, the teacher, like he goes and he'll eat up uh, up on the roof or in the stairwell, and the teacher will come and join him. And the teacher's like, "Well, I know you feel disconnected because you have no friends in the class, and you don't really have any way to." try and forge those connections. And in truth, it'll just seems too troublesome to even attempt to do it, but you shouldn't try and make some efforts. It's like, could you maybe just tone down the reality a bit? (laughs) It's like, I know. Why don't you have lunch in the classroom and I'll eat with you? It's like, I think that's counterintuitive. Yeah. Nobody wants to hang out with the kid who eats lunch with the teacher. (laughs) Because he was, uh, like, one of the scenes is he's getting, submitting permission to uh, not go on a uh, study camp thing where they're going to, like, the class is going out for a week and they'll be having, like, a study event slash trip. And he can't go because he has a game that he, like he has to take part in one of the games and there's no way to avoid that short of the death of a parent you are not supposed to cancel that event so he openly admits honestly i'm more i'm happy that i don't have to go i it would be so troublesome and the teacher like he doesn't say that out loud the teacher just fucking picks up on it and just starts analyzing all of the reasons he doesn't want to go <laughs> it's like again sugarcoated a little <laughs> just like but those kinds of interactions again they add levity and are a nice way to anchor this character so yeah, I I definitely consider that to be one of the strongest shows of this season. I also got caught up on Drifters. Yeah, you did. Yeah, that was... Uh, I'm not going to say it's the best show, of the, one of the best shows of the season, because I've got two that I feel are higher quality, but it is... There's nothing quite else like it in anime. Not at all, and it is fucking great. Yeah, it's pretty good. It de- like it's one of those things where I really enjoy watching it, but when I look back on the events, I'm like, yeah, no, this is fanfic with a really big budget. Oh, absolutely. This is this is somebody going through history saying, "Oh, this guy looks cool." Yeah, this is an instance where Birdie does not seem to be particularly fond of the show. I don't think he dislikes it, but it's just like, yeah, it's he describes it as far more fanficy than. Helsing was, and Helsing was pretty damn, you know, had a lot of fanfic qualities to it. I I think he feels it devalues it, and I definitely get that, but the experience is definitely fun. Absolutely. Like, Kota Hirano, for whatever his faults, he's able to put a lot of fun into his series. Yeah. And that goes a long way towards making them really likable. Like if this was just the, if this is just like the severity and intensity of like the action scenes or the, or like the characters going full on like Kota Hirano mode, it would not be as good as it is, but because it is 
just, you know, fucking Oda, Oda Nobunaga being all fucking Oda and everybody. And then suddenly saying, hey, tits. Just wouldn't have the same level of charm to him. Yeah. It's an interesting series. Really looking forward to seeing what the fuck the deal is with fucking glasses. Mm. The newspaper guy. Yeah. But, uh... I don't actually have... Like, I spoke a lot about less episodes of uh, March Comes In Like a Lion. I watched... Almost twice as many episodes of Drifters, but I don't have too much to say about it. <laughs> so, it's this was your first time good. seeing the ends, right? Um, the yeah. evil Drifters. Yeah. yeah. What do you think? What do you think of them? Because they are like, say what you will about, like. Like like Birdie, I can understand where Birdie's coming from with some of this stuff because uh, I don't know if it was him or like was it him or you that had the uh, that was a bit iffy on stray dogs and their... I was iffy on that. Okay, and in much the same way, I am iffy about the ends. They do some to some extent correct for it by bringing up the fact that they're devoid of the humanity that they once had. Yeah. It implies that they were transformed in some way by the process that brought them there. Yeah, like they were driven but, insane. It's kind of the thing, like uh like Joan yeah. of Arc. Yeah. It's but it's still weird to take historic characters and then to make them evil. Yeah, particularly given the fact that <laughs> Like with Joan of Arc and presumably Jesus taking prominent religious figures that uh, many hold in high regard <laughs> and saying, uh, yeah, no, they're uh, psychopathic killers. Um, yeah, like that, that's that's one of those things where I'm like, um, OK, show that's um, interesting. Might want to lean a little more heavily on the they're not the same as they once were bit, but even so, I don't know how much that will really help with the awkwardness of this. Yeah, so like for anybody who doesn't know, uh, the show is about, you know, people, famous historical figures who died, and then when they die, they are brought over to this world where they have to, you know, fight and whatever. Uh, the drifters are the good guys. They are people who are, who are like brought over and they have a strong sense of justice and don't like to see innocents get hurt. And the ends are people who were driven insane and then try to kill everybody. Uh, those yeah. those include Joan of Arc, uh, Gilles de Ray, Joan of Arc equivalent, like Joan of Arc side character, um, Anastasia Romanov, uh, Rasputin, and Jesus. Yeah, Jesus is not specifically stated, but... It's pretty apparent. The only way it could have been more apparent is if they had an ugly-ass painting of him uh, and said, yeah, no, this guy created an empire and tried to kill everybody. Um, yeah. 
Let me read. Sorry, some, yeah. Hitler read is a historical figure in this fictional world. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. He created the yeah he created the Orte Empire, the the super racist sect of humans. Yep, and then killed himself. Yeah. Uh, and Count of Saint Germain, I think. Yeah, he's also in here, and he's like a super fucking drag queen. Oh, that would explain a lot. Okay. I did not recognize that that was probably supposed to be the uh, Count of St. Germain. Yeah. So just, for anyone who is doubting that Scott... I I had questioned it, though. No, no, for uh, for anybody who's doubting that this character that we're talking about earlier is actually Jesus, let me read some description of him. He claims that he once tried to save humans, but but he has since uh, shifted his agenda towards non-humans after humans denied his efforts. His identity has yet to be established, but he has shown to possess healing powers and the ability to multiply any life form he wishes, infinitely producing food and wood. He also has puncture scars in both his palms. (sighs) Yeah, I have no idea who he could be. Like, fucking Pontius Pilate? I don't know. Could it be Abraham Lincoln? He was a vampire hunter. I'd really like them to start introducing like more. Like, like so far, a lot of the characters they've introduced have been fairly heavy on the Japanese side of things. Like, like they like they do have, you know, French and Russian people. But. From like Western Civilization, and, I guess. And the thing is, at this point, they still all of those characters still feel secondary. There are actually more Western characters than there are Japanese characters, but the number is not. It's moderately skewed in that direction, not massively. Yeah, I'll, and the focus is on our three main characters who are all Japanese. Yeah, and then we're also going to be introducing a new guy who is also Japanese. Who is the captain of a? Who's the captain of a fucking like battleship? Mm. Oh yeah. And then we also have the Japanese fighter pilot. And then but in, he's in off a, with the other characters, and thus is at the moment secondary. Yeah. Yeah, I get where you're coming from. Yeah, I would actually like to see, like, you know, Abraham Lincoln or whatever, or fucking Will, William Wallace. Fuck it, bring in Shaka Zulu. That'd be fun. Having a black guy, having a black guy like fight against an empire that was founded by Nazis. <laughs> That'd be fucking great. Uh, it would also it would also very kind of easily establish like like just have like just have him show up like so. For anyone out there, does, for anyone out there doesn't know, uh, they there are other races in this world, uh, like you know, elves and orcs and stuff like that. And the humans, the Orte Empire, refer to these all all these people as demi humans. And all of the people in the Orte Empire seem to be white. Yeah. So having a black guy show up, they call him a demi human, and they get then they get their fucking head caved in by fucking Zulu sticks and shit. <laughs> <laughs> that's not racist they use sticks i i'm not that isn't like no, they have, I, they have like my clubs brain and shit. Was like oh i had a thought that simply went 
What if they introduced Martin Luther King and my mind just stopped there? <laughs> and I was like, oh, that would be the worst, best idea ever. He'd die immediately. Or he'd get magic okay. or he'd get magic powers. Fuck it. Like him and Malcolm X team up. <laughs> <laughs> like I said, best worst idea ever. So would they be on the sides of the drifters or the ends? I don't know. I'm going to assume the ends because it's because it'd be two like black civil rights leaders fighting for the rights of the underclass against the totalitarian white regime. So drifters then. No, no, actually, I think I think it would be ends because the ends are fighting against the Orte Empire. Oh, well, currently the drifters are as well. So Yeah, yeah, so so like well so with the drifters they are fighting against the Orte Empire, but they aren't trying to eradicate all humans. Mm. The ends are fighting against the Orte Empire with the with the like express pur- with the express purpose of wiping out the all humans in their in their world. Eh. And it's it, Kota Hirano seems like the kind of guy who would introduce civil rights leaders onto the side of people who are trying to eradicate an entire race. Maybe. You know, just yeah. for shits. Man, it's interesting. I'm I not recommend racist. It. It's Drifters is a show that I would not recommend for everyone. You know, if you enjoyed Helsing, well, Helsing Ultimate, you probably will find something to enjoy with this series. I'm not going to guarantee that. It's a little... It's better structured, but at the same time, a little more scattered than Helsing. That might sound odd, but Helsing, the narrative of Helsing was not very focused early on. And even as, even later on in the series, the structure was still a bit iffy. You mainly just had boss fight, boss fight, massive slaughter, boss fight. It was, there wasn't much narrative to go around. And this focuses on the narrative far more yeah. but it has far more characters and a lot of stuff going on yeah so it's not quite the i'm not gonna say oh it's the same beast as helsing but i think that helsing would probably serve as a good thermometer on how much you'll actually get out of this series it's a Kota Hirano series yeah uh I only watched one episode, like, I'm slightly behind on Watashi ga Motete Dosunda, a.k.a. Kiss Him, Not Me. I tried watching the first episode of that. I, if you did not get into it, I fully understand. I got to when she got hot and came back to class. (laughs) I then had other things to do that I ended up not doing. (laughs) Like... I'll get to that in a minute, because episode five is probably the most uneven episode they've had since (laughs) the first episode. Because episode five starts off with her and the other, uh, the new fifth love interest. Uh, They hear about a challenge to create chocolate for 
the characters of one of their favorite series. And the challenge, you know, you submit the chocolate in and the winner will get to meet with the production staff and everything. And it'd be part of like a, a Chris, I think a holiday event might've been Valentine's day. I'm actually most likely Valentine's yeah, day. Yeah. With, with making chocolate, that seems like a Valentine's day yeah. kind of thing. I just couldn't remember the timeline, but given the fact that they just passed Christmas, like two episode, uh, an episode or two ago, it seems most likely. Yeah. Uh, so they come up with the idea of, okay, we'll craft, uh, chocolate statues, not simply, you know, the main character explains, oh, you can make chocolate portraits of characters like this. And she like goes through the process a little bit, showing the other male characters how it's done because the male characters do not want to leave her alone with this other character. Because the last episode ended with the uh, other female character just leaning in and kissing her. And no one in the show knows how to react to this. <laughs> oh, right. The new Eleven dresses a girl. Yeah. And so the new love interest is extremely good at crafting uh, chocolate works, whereas the main character spins hours working on it and i'm actually going to send dead man an image of the final result uh, so just here's a question for you how long <laughs> till she gets fat again uh well when she eats all of her failures also that straight up <laughs> looks like some shit from fucking berserk <laughs> So yeah, she the new love interest says, "Well, here you can take the chocolate that I crafted and submit it." And she's trying to decide whether to submit the one she created cuz she at least created it or send the one that actually looks like something that should exist on this plane of existence. Yeah, come on, those demon eggs exist in our plane. <laughs> Mostly. So while she's pondering this she decides well i have all of this these failed attempts to uh, create chocolate statues i'll go ahead and have eat them while i'm trying to decide and she submits her own statue and because of how unique it is like they had they didn't get any other submission that looked even remotely like it so they're like well yeah you know what it's kind of weird and artistic. Let's go with this one. <laughs> uh, but she's gained, she ends up gaining back her weight. And the male characters, I, one of the reasons this episode falls a little flat is that it does focus more on the emotional elements. And I've stated that I don't care about the emotional elements of this show. And throughout the mid, like midpoint of this episode, I just, I'm not going to say I was having none of it, but it just wasn't landing for me because one of the male characters, the guy who's sort of a nice guy, but never took notice of her prior to her losing the weight is dealing with the existential crisis of whether or not he still thinks he would be interested in her as she is at this point in the series. <laughs> because, like, uh, the female love interest pretty much just 
gave a snide comment to him at one point saying, uh, like she, she was talking about how, you know, I enjoy things that are cute. I enjoy things that are pleasant and she seems to be both. And he says to her, so are you, so you're just in it because, uh, you find her, uh, visually, uh, pleasing. And she says, really, couldn't I ask the same of you? And it, it does land for him. And it's nice to see the characters question this because admittedly, three of the male characters are absolute douchebags up to this point. They are only interested in her after she lost the weight. Dude, fuck, just that description, like, just ring in my head, just like, it's like, he's having an existential crisis on whether or not he can be with a fat chick? No, he's more questioning how he feels about her and whether or not he, his, he is, like, he doesn't want to be purely motivated by that, and he's questioning, is this really something that's significant to me? And he ultimately reaches the conclusion, no, she's a very nice person, she's very kind she's uh like i like her regardless which one of the good like towards this determination comes towards the end of the episode uh like in the last third of the episode and one of the best jokes is when uh one of the two characters that are is like two of the characters are at this point are still completely shallow like they're trying to convince her to work out and trying to get her physically active, ostensibly so that she'll be looking her best for this event that she's looking forward to. But for obvious, but they're doing it for obvious personal reasons. Yeah, and one of them, like the guy that has gone through this self questioning and has determined, you know, no, I, I've fallen in love with her again is just creeping the fuck out of one of the two shallow guys. <laughs> like, and it is, because he's just so earnest, and the reaction from the other guys just to be completely unnerved by that. And that kind of stuff lands well for me. And the fact that the two guys that are still shallow about this come up with a reward system for her to work out. <laughs> That involves them playing essentially gay chicken. <laughs> that works. <laughs> and the fact that the other love interest, the female, uh, the female love interest, is also clearly really into this idea. <laughs> that also works. And then while all this is happening, what about the guy who was kind of already into her before she got hot? Oh, he's. He just, he, he's he just hanging out. He's fine with the situation. In fact, one of the reasons this episode doesn't work as well for me is because he is kind of in the background through the majority of it and doesn't have that much of a role. You'd you know, think he helps he her work would, out. Just you'd, you'd think he would to some extent because he's this is like I don't know. It just seems like the guy who seems like he'd be the one who actually would end up with her in some way yeah like he's at one point one of the characters is saying he's like complaining about the situation he's like oh yeah i guess she did regain some of her weight and it's like thank you for the understatement (laughs) (laughs) but uh you know he 
he does actually help her work out and stuff because she is she's not being forced into it against her will. But she is being manipulated to some extent. So it's a situation where they're trying to walk an interesting tightrope and it kind of works because she has a reason to want to be fit and be healthy and like all of that is in a sense fine, but it's the fact that the guy that some of the guys are pushing selfish agendas. Yeah. So it kind of works and kind of doesn't. My biggest problem is the fact that it tries to focus, focus on the emotional elements here. And that's never what quite works for me with this show. Okay. Like I am in it because I find the situational comedy that they set up to be laugh out loud funny. And up until the gay chicken, uh, (laughs) uh, workout routine that gets established at the end <laughs> there's a sentence i didn't not, a lot of the jokes just didn't really land that well for me okay but not a terrible episode but it was just kind of uneven and natsume has been consistently good i don't really have much to add there because it's natsume watch the other seasons and then watch this one. Uh, I did, however, watch an anime movie. Ooh. I went over to uh, Birdie's house last week and we were hanging out and a friend that uh, we hadn't seen probably since either 4th of July or New Year's joined us and she brought with her a cased closed movie. And K-Man is really the like case closed fan of the group. I have never seen an episode of it. And because strictly speaking, I don't think that the show is what I look for in anime. Uh, for those who are not aware, case closed is a mystery anime about a, detective or something (laughs) who gets i'm assuming he's a detective he's clearly i i I don't i don't really know too much about the premise of this he's a very sherlock holmes character i don't know if he's actually a detective or if he was just an enthusiast of these kinds of like logic puzzles or what but he gets poisoned or magic or something turns him into a child so yeah it looks like he is an actual detective okay and he solves cases so that's the entirety of the premise as far as i know i know there are a bunch of side characters and stuff i do not care i'm not going to i i don't have anything against mystery series i like mystery series but I don't see myself ever watching Case Closed. You also have so, a hell of a time trying to because it has 91 volumes of the of the manga and 832 episodes of the anime. Yep, that is true. It's been running since and, 94. And this movie... I will fully admit, based on what I know of the series, this movie is not a representation of it in any way. Because what I watched (laughs) was Case Closed, The Phantom of Baker Street. 
And I am actually going to, I was not paying close attention throughout the first half of this. Like I straight up, it was kind of going in one ear and out the other because I was fiddling around on my computer. And like I said, I have no interest in this series. This is fucking batshit crazy. Okie dokie. Like I'm going to go to Anime News Network just because their synopsis will probably be uh, relatively short and I will read what they have here. Okay. Conan was invited to a party with many other guests. They were there to test a new virtual game system when a murder mystery occurred. Now Conan must go into the game system to find out who the murderer is with the help of the famous book character Sherlock Holmes. I, he, he's barely in this. The lives of 49 kids testing the game are in his hands, because if you die in the game, you die for real, assuming everyone dies. It's kind of a winner-take-all situation. Um, with the lives of the kids... So, there was a moment, like, the reason I started paying attention to this movie was because it makes it easier to riff on it. And I needed to riff on this, because this is fucking insane. Sounds Uh, like it. Like, uh, it prominently features Jack the Ripper, and, like, there are a a bunch, I don't even... I think they figure out that Jack the Ripper is involved because the letters R, T, and J uh, get brought up. Uh, So, J-T-R, Jack the Ripper, obviously. Stands Uh, to reason. Yeah. And I was joking at one point that I think the twist of Black Butler regarding the identity of Jack the Ripper might be more interesting. And for those who are not aware, I'll give a quick update. First of all, if you have not watched Black Butler, don't. And second of all, (laughs) Black Butler featured a version of Jack the Ripper that was a red-haired cross-dressing god of death that wielded a chainsaw. Wait, is that fucking guy? Yeah. Fuck. Yeah, and as I was saying, you know, I feel that uh, Black Butler's twist might actually be better. I stopped and realized, oh my god, they had the same idea. Because now, to be fair, Jack the Ripper in this movie does not have a chainsaw and is not a god of death. Instead, Jack the Ripper is a red-haired, cross-dressing ninja with bladed fingernails. So, slightly different, but no less what the fuck. Mm. <laughs> uh, and, like, all of your standard bullshit regarding Sherlock Holmes gets brought up. Moriarty shows up. Of course, Irene Adler plays a role because she was in that one story once and everything else has to reference her always. Yeah, naturally. I. This. This is a like. An AI called Noah's Ark plays a prominent role in this movie. I there. 
This is not quite what I think of when I think Sherlock Holmes style mystery. Like, this is this insane. Is not, this is not what I think of when I think mystery. Yeah, this is insane by Sherlock Holmes in the 22nd century standards. Hey, that Sherlock Holmes in the 22nd century is a fucking masterpiece. It's been a long time since I watched it. Not going to argue one way or another, but compared <laughs> to this, fuck yes. Like, uh, uh, just I, hold, just hold up. I need, I need to look something up to make a joke. Enjoy the sound of my clicking, clacking, mm. and whatever. Okay. Fuck Benedict Cumberbatch, Jason Gray, Stanford for days. Okay. Totally <laughs> worth it. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, this is... This is a bizarrely insane storyline. Oh, right, and I forgot. It turned out that the company's president was the one that committed the murder. Uh, his name was Thomas Schindler, which, of course, if you're riffing this movie, a lot of material there to work with. Oh, yeah. Uh, who has also turned out to be a descendant of the original Jack the Ripper because they found DNA on the knife that was similar to his, you know. That's science. This is a... I'm going to point out that this movie has a few similarities with Sword Art Online, so the phrase, <laughs> that science, just goes flying out the window. <laughs> right from the get-go. I, I... I... This is fucking ridiculous. Sounds like it. Like, I... Okay, I'm reading the Wikipedia entry. Child prodigy Hiroki Sawanda, who by the age of 10 is already an MIT grad student and has developed a DNA tracker software, has been under the guardianship of Thomas Schindler, owner of a giant, uh, of a software giant, Schindler Incorporated, since his mother died. One night in a heavily guarded room at the top of the Schindler building where Hiroki lives, he finishes an AI system, Noah's Ark, and sends the software through the telephone lines. The guards become suspicious when he does not respond. They bust open the door, but discover that Hideki has disappeared, having leapt off the building. Two, year, two years later, at the Baika City Hall, Schindler Incorporated holds... Because Japan? I don't... I don't fucking know. Uh, holds a demonstration of... Yeah, Baika. Okay. Uh, demonstration of an immersive virtual reality game called Cocoon. Nah, Conan, Richard, Rachel, and the junior detectives, including Vi Graythorn, I don't know who the fuck those are, but okay, They're are attending the demonstration, <laughs> but cannot participate without special badges, which have been allocated to children associated with the game's investors and prominent socialites, such as uh, Serena. Dr. Agasa and Booker Kudo, who have been involved in the development of the game's setting, attend the event. In case you're getting lost amongst all these names that you don't know, don't worry. I wasn't paying close attention, but I had pretty much the exact same reaction to the opening. Agasa gives Conan a badge, while all the other junior detectives, uh, detective kids trade premium golden Yaiba cards for badges. Okay. When security discovers that Kashimura, a top employee of Schindler Incorporated, has been killed, 
That is not a full sentence. Nope. Booker and Conan rush to investigate. Discovering that Kashimura's keyboard has blood stains on three of the letters, R, T, and J, Conan decides to participate in the demonstration, hoping that the game will lead him to an answer. Booker reasons that JTR stands for Jack the Ripper. Logic. <laughs> when the demonstration begins, Hiroki's artificial intelligence system, Noah's Ark, announces it has taken control, but it tells the audience that if none of the 50 kids are able to survive the game, it will kill the kids in reality using a large electromagnetic burst. The kids must choose one of five types of games while the audience watch helplessly, unable to shut the game down. Conan and the junior detectives choose the fifth, a recreation of 19th century London set in the world of Sherlock Holmes. Conan and his friends track down 21, uh, 221B Baker Street, only to find that Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson are at Dartmoor. Since Holmes cannot help, by the, by the way, they pass a homeless guy that is clearly Sherlock Holmes, the kids <laughs> find Sebastian Moran and Professor Moriarty. Moriarty tells Conan that he trained Jack the Ripper when Jack was a street urchin. The professor gives the children a clue about the next victim, who turns out to be Irene Adler, Holmes' only love. Some of the events uh, lead to more kids being eliminated from the game, including the junior detectives. They get killed in a bar fight. <laughs> Meanwhile, in the real world, Booker investigates the case and reveals that Kashimura's murderer is the company's president, Thomas Schindler, who Hiroki had discovered was a descendant of the original Jack the Ripper. Dun, dun, dun. Eventually only... Th what? Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> Eventually, only three are left, Conan, Rachel, and another child named Hideki Moroboshi. They follow Jack the Ripper to a train and re reveal Jack among the passengers, the woman with red hair. However, Jack captures Rachel and sets the train on a runaway course. After being unable to stop the train, Conan and Hideki confront Jack on top of the train where he's tied himself to Rachel. Uh... God, that was a stupid scene. Uh... <laughs> There's a lot of weird logic. Hoping that Conan can figure out the situation, Rachel sacrifices herself by jumping off the train into a ravine, pulling Jack with her. As Conan begins to lose hope, Sherlock Holmes appears and gives... Yeah, he just, like, fucking... Uh, the Starship Enterprise warped him in and then warps him out. Don't worry, Conan, gives, I am here. <laughs> Beat me up, Scotty. Uh, <laughs> gives Conan some useful advice. Like, straight up, pretty much the same effect, almost. Uh, that eventually helps Conan and Hideki survive the game. Uh, they crawl into a car, bash open all of the wine containers in there, and that uh, absorbs the shock of the train crash, and never mind the barrels that would have probably crushed them to death. Uh, yeah, I'm just going to say fuck you. Just all of that. See, my argument was that they just wanted to die the way Jimmy would want to die, immersed in alcohol. But <laughs> <laughs> apparently I was wrong. After winning the game, Conan reveals that Hideki is actually Hiroki, the, you know, kid that made the software and killed himself or whatever, who has manifested himself as Noah's Ark. In a private conversation, Hiroki says he was satisfied with the outcome as he was hoping the kids can paint, uh, can paint a brighter future than their parents and that he is happy he could also partic uh, participate as a player in the game. He releases the children from the game and then fucking kills himself. What he doesn't reveal is that he actually had fused with Conan in order to create a new being. Uh, 
So the weird thing about that summary is it sounds far more logical than this movie was. But- Which is saying something. That doesn't, because <laughs> that did not sound logical in the slightest. Exactly. Like, Con- they get in a bar fight and then Conan ends it by holding a bottle of wine hostage. Nobody move or the fucking alcohol gets it. Yes. <laughs> I. I actually said, nobody move or the, or the wine gets it. <laughs> because the wine was set aside for Moriarty. And he extrapolated via the writing, I guess, that he knew it was for Moriarty and that he could hold it hostage. Why was Moriarty helping them? Uh, he kind of sort of was and kind of sort of wasn't. Uh, I How did Moriarty train entire- Jack the Ripper? Why is Jack the Ripper in this? <laughs> Why is Sherlock Holmes in this? Why is Jack the Ripper, being a red-haired cross-dresser, a recurring element in anime, and why is he a ninja here? <laughs> like, no, straight up, the, do you want to know how he gets to the uh, top of the train? Smoke bomb. <laughs> <laughs> so I highly recommend this. Uh <laughs> If you through. have friends and you want to just watch something that is fucking batshit crazy and riff on it, I'll recommend this. I don't think that this is in any way indicative of what Conan is, given Caveman's reactions to this. Uh, but, and uh, again, I'm not going to ever watch the show itself because it's just... It doesn't appeal to me that much, but this was just hilarious to tear apart. So coming soon. But yeah, that's pretty much it for what I've been watching. We already touched upon the weirdness that was My Hero uh, Academy, uh, Academia and One Punch Man. Yep. Another part of watch reading then. On to the news. There is none. Technically, Ghost in the Shell trailers qualify. Damn. They're also making a live action Full Metal Alchemist movie. And. <laughs> and there was something else that I completely forgot. And. <laughs> Shin Godzilla passed 8 billion yen at the box office. What was it that I forgot? There was some uh, some announcement or something, but I can't actually recall. Yeah, that Ghost in the Shell thing looks... Eh. Oh, right. Miyazaki's announced that he is planning to return to filmmaking. What? You mean the Brett Favre of anime is coming back? <laughs> and now I guessed it. I don't, like, I'm not as huge a fan of Miyazaki as a lot of people are, but that's mainly because I don't tend to watch too many anime films. 
And while I can appreciate the artistry of his films, the underlying narrative doesn't tend to grab me as much as in movies like The Girl Who Leapt Through Time. So I'm, he's not my favorite, and in truth, my favorite animated movie ties in with another anime series. So, and it's The Disappearance of Haruhi Suzumiya. So, oh yeah, that shit was yeah. great. Yes, it was. It was a fucking great movie. <laughs> Yeah, leave it to Haruhi Suzumiya to have what I would almost refer to as the godfather of anime movies, and that it's <laughs> fucking ass-numbingly long, and I could not pause it for a single minute. Oh, yeah, that... I think actually, back in the day, when we had the old YouTube account, I think I did a, I think I did a quote-unquote video review of it. Which is to I, say, which is to say, in Windows Movie Maker, I stretched out a single image of the poster for the entire length of the audio clip I recorded of myself talking about it <laughs> into a handheld audio fucking, recorder I got from Radio Shack for fifteen bucks. I hate when I hated Windows Movie Maker. <laughs> I didn't know how to. I didn't know how to crack Adobe yet, so I just used that. I. I I use my Linux system for video editing, so I use Caden Live. It has a tendency to crash relatively often when you're dealing with a lot of different video files, but it's very good at saving what was going on. So if it if it runs into a problem, it can recover very well. And I actually value that more than never crashing, because I used to use, uh, what was it? Uh, PowerDirector. And... Power Director did not crash as often as Caden Live does, but when it did, I would lose like an hour, like two or three hours worth of work sometimes. Uh-huh. And I fucking hated that. Yeah, I've mainly just been sticking with Adobe. Mm. Like, I've. Like, at, at this point, I think it's mostly just, I just stick with it because, like, A, I'm paying for it. And B, I just I spent so much time with it that I feel like learning any new software would just be a fucking hassle. Yeah, you know, video software has more distinction between its various uh, incarnations than most image editing software does. Yeah, and on top so, of that, I'm also learning how to use After Effects. Mm-hmm. I just I just used displace. I just made a new Im- intro for one of our video series. Where I use a displacement map to add in a fucking glitch effect on a video, then duplicated and screen layered all the different images and changed their RGB settings to have an RGB split. Video editing's fun, you guys. You can learn <laughs> command scripts. <sighs> Be sure to remember to put the comma in the right place, otherwise your fucking wiggle effect won't work properly. That's going to do it for this week. Thank y'all for joining us on this week's episode of the uh, video eff- video editing podcast. <laughs> Join us next week when we talk when we bitch about the changes they made in Final Cut. <laughs> I can't believe they did that thing they did. I don't think I've ever used Final Cut. <laughs> it was so much better the way it was before. And they're charging what for this? 
I don't know, because I use Caden Live, which is very, very free. I don't know, because I use Adobe, which was very, very free for a while. <laughs> but then I was like, I don't want to get sued. Fucking Forever 21 made me buy Adobe. Okay. Uh, Forever 21 used a pirated copy of Adobe to make one of their flyers, and Adobe sued them for a few million dollars. Oh. Uh, I wonder if Caden Live will become available on Windows now that Windows is gravitating towards being uh, Linux. I don't know. Anyway. Thank you all for joining us. We'll be back in two weeks' time with an episode of the DeathStoreProds.com anime and manga podcast. In between now and then, they're going to be having our regular run of movie reviews podcasts. Ow! Kinds of bullshit, but... Until then, I'm the dead man. I'm Cora. And we'll see you guys next time. <laughs>